This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafumo. Mark Thompson. Get woke. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure. Ladies and gentlemen, happy to have with us a dear brother who's with the National Community Reinvestment Coalition, the NCRC. He's also an, a fellow at the Institute for Policy Studies. Over the years, we've always relied on him for information about how far we have or have not progressed since Dr. King's untimely martyrdom. He used to author the State of the Dream report and that was something we always look forward to hearing about and getting caught up on. Now there's a new report as we approach the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington. Still a dream over 500 years to black economic equality. Our dear brother, Diedrich Asante Muhammad, joins us once again on Make It Plain. Brother, how are you? Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have good, you. Good, good. Glad to be on. And, and it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for your continued work in this area and you highlight some of the things that we have achieved but also some of the things we've not so I, I kind of if you don't mind Diedrich I kind of want to go through some of the key findings um poverty where have we come have we overcome Dr. King would say we shall overcome have we overcome the disparity in the poverty rate since 1963 the march on Washington we haven't overcome the disparity in poverty, but we've seen great improvements uh, in that. And I think it's you know, helpful for younger generations to understand. In 1963, 51% of African-Americans lived in income poverty. So the majority of African-Americans lived in income poverty. Uh, and we saw actually, you know, with the war on poverty, with a lot of the programs of the Black Freedom Struggle in the 50s and 60s helped get to push forward, we saw by 1969 that poverty rate had decreased to about 35% right around there. And in 2021, we're down to about 20%. Now, 20% poverty rate is still high. That's still one out of five Black Americans. But it is substantively lower than the poverty rate of 51% that we were seeing during the time of the March on Washington. What was the white poverty rate in 1963? And what is the white poverty rate now in comparison? Yes. And so, um, again, blacks had a 51 percent poverty rate in 1963. Whites had a poverty rate of 15 percent in 1963. And in 2021, blacks had a poverty rate of 20 percent, while whites had a poverty rate of 8 percent. 
So both saw a substantive decline uh, during this 60-year period. Um, and that's, you know, that is important, but there's still, you know, great disparity. Uh, you know, but again, I would say in 2021, African-Americans have a little bit more, maybe around 2.5 times the poverty rate of whites. Uh, while back in 63, they had, uh, you know, over three times the poverty rate. So some bridging, I think some improvement, we can be, um, you know, we should acknowledge that. Um, and I think we'll see in other areas that we haven't seen even that type of improvement. And I think many people would argue, I think Dr. King would have argued, 60 years of the March on Washington, he would have desired uh, complete equality in terms of socioeconomic characteristics. We're not near that on really about any measure. Talk to us about education, uh, high school attainment, college attainment. How far have we come since 1963? Sure, and I think that's also something that's important for younger generations to understand that the black high school attainment rate uh, back in the early 60s was about 25%, meaning high school graduates, only about 25% of, uh, of African-Americans had you know, high school uh, diplomas. And by 2022, we're at 90%. So we see that you know, there's been a great increase there. And blacks and whites are about almost equal in terms of white high school attainment now. Uh, let's look at, no, I think a big difference now is that people are expected to go much farther in education today than they were uh, previously. Uh, we can look at college attainment and we can see that of uh, the college attainment between blacks and whites has narrowed from about whites had a 2.4 times more likely to graduate from college in the 60s now to 1.7 times. Uh, so you have black college attainment at about 28% today and white college attainment at about 38% today. So there's been you know, definitely increases for blacks and whites in high school attainment, college attainment, some bridging of that divide, but we still have a substantive divide in terms of uh, particularly college education. I, I guess we would need to be concerned too that what just happened with affirmative action could, also, could ultimately impact that number and, and, and take us backwards, right? Well, yeah, I think we definitely want to make sure, uh, I think, you know, I think affirmative action, but I think even, I think even a greater threat is the rising cost of higher education. And you're not getting the same type of economic benefit that you had had in the past. And I think that's even a uh, greater threat of being priced out. Uh, I think affirmative action, oftentimes, a lot of its greatest um, change has occurred in the most elite universities. Um, but I am concerned that if we don't deal with the financing of right. Uh, education that we could, you know, see a turn back just based on that, not even taking into consideration affirmative action. Yeah, that's 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 a that's a good point. Unemployment. We're hearing these numbers: record low black unemployment. Obviously, that's better than things were in 1963. Correct. 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 Uh, definitely, we've seen uh, that unemployment. You know, we hit like almost a record low, which of five percent. Um, back uh, about a year or so ago. And since about 2018, we've seen a lot, we've seen a decent amount of five and 6% unemployment rate for blacks, which are kind of record lows if you take out the COVID 18, the 18 month COVID recession. Uh, in, in the 70s to mid 90s, black unemployment was 
constantly in the double digits uh, from 1994 to 2017. You saw black unemployment between seven and 10 percent. So I think over the last five years, we've seen some improvement. And the question is, can we maintain that? And can we improve upon that? Can we keep uh, not only just keep African-American unemployment around five or six percent, but give that down to the three and four percent that white unemployment is regularly at? Yeah, yeah. Um, right. Can can you keep that down? That's the question. It, it, well, it, as you very um, aptly pointed out, the challenge in higher education, while most people are focused on affirmative action, are, do you see uh, do you see any pitfalls, any red flags that would suggest we might begin to go backwards when it comes to black employment or black unemployment? It's. I mean, I think the, my greatest concern is that we oftentimes do not maintain the progress that Blacks do uh, attain in an economy. Uh, and so just historically, we might hit a low, but then during the next recession, we go back to where we were and might even go beyond that. So I think that's the concern. And the economy is so weird ever since this COVID, post-COVID, no one's really clear where we are, are we about to head into a recession? Have we skipped a recession? Um, we probably won't really know until we get into another recession and see if we're able to still keep black unemployment, you know, if it doesn't jet jettison up to 10%, but can still keep it fairly low, even for a recession. So I think, you know, time will tell. But I do think we've learned some important pro uh, policy programs that can really be helpful and that we really do need to uh, expand unemployment benefits to those who are self-employed, uh, maintain or, or make sure we have strong unemployment benefits that keep dollars in people's pockets so they don't go into financial ruin just because they've hit an unemployment spell. So I think we could have, hopefully we could have learned those lessons in COVID. You won't know if we've learned them until we use them again in future recessions. Uh, other areas of importance. Um income, how much money we're making in comparison to white Americans, median household income. Talk to us about that and, and what progress, if any, we've made in those areas. Yeah, this is where we've seen much slower progress. Uh, for every dollar of white family income, African-Americans had 58 cents on the dollar in 1967 for every white dollar of income. In 2021, African-Americans had 62 cents on every dollar of uh, white uh, household income. So it took 60 years to make four cents of improvement. And, uh, you know, that type of progress is what I would call a lack of progress. Uh, it would take, if we keep going four cents for 60 years, it would take another 500 years for African-Americans to reach just income equality with white Americans. And I think, you know, that should be a slap in the face to us, to our society. You know, Dr. King was saying in 1963 that we can't, uh, we can't accept a cool gradualism, that we have to deal with the fierce urgency of now, but yet 60 years later, we're still on a path of maybe 500 years from now getting just income equality between blacks and whites. So that, you know, th that should be an unacceptable, should be considered a crisis and should be a rallying point as we remember the March on Washington for freedom, for jobs and freedom, and what that march was about. 
It also, it, the report discloses median household income had, for African-Americans only grown 0.36% uh, since the turn of the century. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. It's, uh, and so, you know, again, just, if you want to just do the last 20 years, uh, you know, no matter what you look at, the last 60 years, the last 20 years, we are not on a path of racial economic equality. Oftentimes people will say, well, we're not where we want to be, but we're getting there. And our report's highlighting, no, we're not getting there in terms of income and wealth, which means we need a radical shift in our approach, radical shift in policy, and I think a radical investment in our communities if we do want to get past the racial uh, inequality the country was founded upon. So we gained only four cents for every dollar of white, Af white family income, African-Americans only gained four cents. Um, and if, if I'm reading this correctly, we only gained six cents for every dollar of wealth, too, right? That is right. And we've gained that six cents, but we were starting at 12 cents on every dollar of wealth for whites in 1962. And by 2019, we're at 18 cents. So you know, we're still at a much worse space in wealth equality than we are with whites. And at that rate, it would take almost 800 years for African-Americans, 780 years for African-Americans to reach wealth equality. And I think wealth is the strongest indicator of socioeconomic status in our society. So again, the country is, is on a path of ongoing what I would call economic apartheid between blacks and whites. And the question is, you know, will the country, as Dr. King was calling for, uh, finally, you know, uh, develop the will and move us from the chaos to a beloved community that he was working so hard for? Yeah. The, and, and by now, folks, you can tell when, when Derek talks about the centuries it would take to close these gaps, I often, brother, as you know, quote you when I'm speaking. And there's always a there's always a dramatic point when I make it. People receive it dramatically when you say it takes 500 years. I, I want to move into home ownership because you talk about that as well. I, I still have my notes from your State of the Dream reports. In 2004, you wrote this, that it would take uh, the black home ownership rate uh, for it to close back in 2004. It would take 1,664 years to close the home ownership gap, about 55 generations. Has that gotten any better? Or are we still looking at 1,664 years? Yeah, I mean, I would say, once you start getting to 1,000 years, uh, I just say we're not making uh, progress <laughs> at all. And I think that's what current data is, uh, is showing. Um, and, and you're aging me by showing that I've been writing about this for about 20 years. Uh, uh, but, but it is true that Black home ownership... Um, in 1960, was 38%. Uh, and in 2021, meaning 38% of African Americans were homeowners. In 2021, 44% of African Americans are homeowners. In 1960, 64% of white Americans were homeowners. So I think one way to think about it is we're still 20% behind where whites were in 1960. Wow. Uh, and then in 2021, whites are at 74% homeowners. Um, and so again, you know, I always point to history. Whites weren't always majority homeowners. Whites became majority homeowners through the GI Bill, through restructuring mortgage lending, through government backing mortgage loans, 
And I think it's going to be that type of focused federal government investment into black home ownership. I say into Latino home ownership, into Native American home ownership, if we want America to be majority homeowners in the future, and if we want to rectify that black-white inequality. So again, it's going to take a whole kind of a new New Deal, a new GI Bill, a new uh, 0% down government-backed mortgage lending to make a community like African-Americans whose median income is around $45,000 and median wealth is around $9,000. Got to create some new mortgage products that are subsidized if we're going to make us majority homeowners. Yeah, yeah. No, that's important. And, and that, folks, that's, as Diedrich is describing, uh, yeah, and I mean age, folks, for the record, he started writing these reports when he was 10. Uh, just, that's, there you go. There you he go. was 10 years old. He was, a, you know, just a, a pro child prodigy. <laughs> we were all so impressed with him. <laughs> the, uh, um, and as you talk about those solutions, yes, that's that, because a lot of folks think white folks, I remember you, you wrote a piece also on the commons. I won't tell you that one either. But you laid that out. And, 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 and I also yes. have referred to that in the context of our conversation about reparations. You know, um, white folks got mm. that help. People think white folks just woke up at night and they just middle class. No, they had help to establish the middle class uh, through the GI Bill, as you said, in the Commons, the Homestead Act. FHA loans, they had all of those things. We didn't even have social security, they had that. And so that's really the catching yeah. up that, that's necessary. Well, and, and then you go, yeah, and I was just saying, you go far enough back, they actually had us to build their wealth. Right? Like we were part of their wealth and we built their wealth. Hello, they had us, that's right. We, we were an, and we were an asset. Yeah. We, we weren't right. asset ourselves. So, right. so we need solutions. As you talk about recommendations, we need those types of solutions that would allow us to catch up. And I noticed you also have included reparations in your recommendation. Yeah, no, I mean, reparations would be, reparations focused on African-Americans would be the most effect, cost-effective and time-efficient way to address this racial wealth divide. I'm all for broad universal policies like a baby bond program, which we put forward, which you could do to disproportionately hit African-American, maybe Latino, Native American youth. But if you want to save dollars, yeah, focus it on. And, and that's what reparations would be. Reparations should be focused on the black community and what we're going to do to bridge this inequality. So you can do baby bonds, particularly for African-Americans. You can do uh, home lending programs or maybe do VA loans that do have 0% down payment for all African-Americans or all African-Americans who've been in the country for a certain amount of time, what have you. But that's the type of, uh, you know, reparations allows for a specificity and a focus of investment into our community. And then there's also other broad universal policies which can be helpful to bridge inequality overall and help our Latino or Native American brothers and sisters who also uh, suffer from racial You mentioned too that the funding for reparations uh, could come from taxes and fees levied on the ultra wealthy. But you also make the argument that concentrated wealth with the ultra wealthy needs to be broken up anyway, right? No, 100%. I mean, I think one of the greatest challenges for African American economic uh, empowerment has been that since we managed to break a lot of the outright segregation laws of the 40s and 50s, 
We had about 20 years of some type of semi-progressive uh, economic policy, but by 1980, we were in full on tilt to a regressive economic policy. Regressive economic policy meaning that as the country's wealth grew, it went disproportionately to the wealthiest instead of going disproportionately to the poorest as it did in the 1940s, 50s, when the great white American middle class was created. So we definitely need a progressive uh, economic uh, future in order to help deal with inequality, including racial economic inequality. You, you alluded to bonds, but tell us more about individual wealth building, family wealth building, individual asset building. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, important thing to note is that, you know, we can look at personal finance as how do we deal with the economic structures that, you know, are around us, right? And what are best measures, you know, usually have to be pretty conservative, but you don't have a lot. You got to be pretty conservative with what you have and really try to make sure you have oftentimes a rainy day fund because the poorer you are, the less wealth you have, the more rain you have and the more economic crisis you have. And so most of your wealth is really just to help you get through economic crisis. Once you have a certain amount of income and you have a decent amount of wealth, you can then use that wealth to actually build wealth. And, you know, and that's the space. And that's what we're trying to figure out is how can we get income and wealth into our community to a point that no longer are we just trying to have rainy day funds, but we actually have enough wealth that we can invest in our future and create more economic opportunity and have our wealth grow. Universal health care is also one of IPS's and NCRC's recommendations. How important is universal health to achieving some type of economic parity? Well, most analysis uh, put forward that healthcare costs is the number one source of bankruptcy. So you can see how important uh, it would be to not make that just a private responsibility, but a universal public asset that then means we don't have to drain our resources to deal with uh, uh, health crises, which disproportionately happen in our community. So we are more likely to deal with these healthcare costs and we have the least in terms of our personal finances to actually pay for them. So I think we would see important economic benefits as well as health benefits because a lot of the health issues we have is the stress of not just racism, but of economic insecurity. And I think having a, a universal program like healthcare, having maybe universal employment, all of that would help our, our health and our wealth. Yeah, yeah, no, that's very important. Who else is the audience besides the general public? Is the audience policymakers? Are, are they in the audience? Do you have a sense the CBC annual legislative conference is coming up? Do you have a sense that policymakers are, are willing to, to take this document, take this report and, and carry the torch? Yeah, my concern is that too many of our politicians are so caught up in the politics of a 2024 election, which is important. But they're concerned about, well, let's get through the election before we put forth policy. And, you know, I would go back to, again, Dr. King's 1963 uh, book. I think it's 1963. Uh, why we can't wait. Like, we can't wait for another election to pass or what have you. The time is now to put forth this economic crisis of black America and demand that all candidates highlight what policies are they going to do that would right. get the country off of the path of waiting another 500 years before we have income inequality or 780 years until we have wealth equality. 
The report, 60 years after MLK's I Have a Dream speech, new report projects over 500 years to achieve black economic equality. You can read it at ncrc.org, National Community Reinvestment Coalition, ncrc.org. Deidre Asante Muhammad, one of the authors of the report. My brother, as always, we appreciate you and, and thank you for waking us up to how far we've come and how much further we need to go. And I thank you for, uh, for years uh, informing your audience of these important type of issues. So thank you. Thank you, brother. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister or brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.